Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Sir Francis Bacon, the great philosopher of old, hundreds of years ago, interested in science and knowledge, said this, Some books are to be tasted, others are to be swallowed, and some few are to be chewed and digested. Now, I believe... As believers, when we read God's Word, we can say with great confidence, this book, Old Testament, New Testament, is to be chewed and digested. We get that certainly from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, which says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As a believer, one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, the place, the one source we go for all truth is God's Word. That's why many of you made an effort to be here at Dine. That's why some of you are involved in Bible studies in social media, or through the week, or Wednesday nights, or at other times. Because we know that's where we get our spiritual food. Well, I also believe we could build a case for that quote, chewing and digesting, not only for God's Word, but certainly when it comes to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to that epistle. And we are about to jump into chapter 1 and verse 1. And we're going to work our way through this book of Ephesians. Today is an introduction. And so when you come to a book, you kind of want to know, well, who wrote the book? Who was that author? What was their life like? You want to know, okay, why did he write it to this particular community? What was going on in the city? What was the church like? And then you want to know, how is it going to make any difference in Lincoln County where I live in my life when I go home, when I go to school, when I go to work? For we want to know why a book in the Bible is there, but we also want to know how to apply it to our lives. So, I have preached out of Ephesians, but I've never preached through Ephesians. Over the years, I feel led to jump into a book every now and then. Now, we're always going to use the book. You know that after six months. Your pastor search committee suggested that I always use the Bible. And I was grateful. I thought, I think we'll be a good fit. That's important because of the passage I just Mentioned earlier, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. But you also know that, for example, the summer was more topical, meaning hot topics for a hot summer. 
always biblical, but there were different titles and messages. Sometimes you will find that I'll zero in on a person in the Bible. When our men's Bible study begins in October, early mornings on Thursdays for seven weeks, we'll be looking at the life of David. Sometimes I'll do a study like that in the mornings. And then every once in a while, I'll dive into a book like Ephesians, and more than likely, it's a book that I've not done in my lifetime as a senior pastor before. I have done a study in Florida, for example, I felt led to go into 1 Corinthians. I never preached through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, and preached it through. And I said, Lord Jesus, help me, let's go. And so that's similar to what I'm doing with Ephesians. Now, as we get into this introduction, and as we begin to walk through this, you will know from week to week what to read ahead and how to pray for your pastor. For example, next week, you can start looking at verse 3 and following. And more than likely, unless we have a special emphasis like the missions week or there's something else going on that would cause me to be out of town, then, then we, there might be another message from another book in the Bible. And just know that as we dive in here, just like I did in Florida with 1 Corinthians, every once in a while, I may take a break if we haven't finished the book and do a series for the summer or for the holidays or some other special emphasis. That's just FYI, because I'm still uh, new here, and because I've not preached through a book like this before, that's where we're headed. Now, if you've turned to Ephesians, you are in chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the NIV, and here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. It wasn't Paul's idea. It was God's will to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful thing for a church to be called by the apostle Paul. You are faithful. He'd say you're perfect. You got it going on. He just says you're faithful. We're saved by grace and we're to live by faith. And he commends them from the very beginning. It's always good when you get a letter. And somebody at the very beginning says something positive. Now, they may be setting you up to say something else, but it's always good where you know, well, more than likely, this person has good intent. They're saying something gracious to me at the beginning. And then, as other epistles in the New Testament, Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 can be found in other epistles. Grace and peace is kind of like... Hello, dear John. Hello, man. It's good to see you. I saw you last week. Just a formal kind of greeting. So what we're going to especially do is zero in on the first verse, and we'll be looking at several verses on point number three. Because when we get to point number three, we're going to go through each chapter, and I'm going to zero in on one particular passage primarily to say this is some of the things that God may teach us practically as we walk through this. So first... Who wrote the book? Well, Paul identifies himself. And he identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle is one who was sent by God for a specific purpose. There were the disciples. There were the 12. Jesus selected 
them, called them out, sent them, prepared them for when he would ascend to heaven to what? Share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and assist in preparing for the acts, acts of the apostles, acts of the church, the birth of the New Testament church. I'd say he did a good job. That's why you and I are sitting here today. We're a part of the same gospel of Jesus Christ and the church, biblical church, of Jesus Christ. And then there was Paul. He was a special apostle that was sent because the Lord Jesus on the Damascus road called him out to be one who helped plant churches. This is the ascended Lord who came and he appeared before the apostle Paul and said, Paul, whoa, bro, you're a religious person. Why are you persecuting my folks? Why are you persecuting the church? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that I died and rose again and ascended at the right hand of the Father for you too as well. Just because, Paul, you are a religious person, you are a good guy. You know a lot about the Bible, the Old Testament of Scripture, canon of Scripture. That does not mean you know me. And it absolutely transformed this religious person's life into a different person. And so, we find out the Apostle Paul means that he was a sent one and helped plant the churches. But I want to go a little bit further into his life before Christ. You see, when we share our testimony, we typically say, this is my life before Christ. This is how I met Christ. We've referred to that. That came in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. And then this is my life after Christ. What we're finding from the Apostle Paul is he was a very religious person. He met Christ. It changed him, and he redeemed the times. He made up for, by God's grace, depending on Jesus every day, every week, every month, and fulfilling his assignment, he made up for a lot of bad with a lot of good. Why? Because God changed his life and because he depended on God and he made the most of every day. I think if there's anything that we can learn from the Apostle Paul, we can realize that God can redeem our past. No matter how bad or how good we thought we were, he can change us and he can use us. Please keep that in mind because there's some people every day that think, "Mm, you don't know what I've done. I can't be used because I've been marked with my past. Well, hopefully today, And this study is going to remind you, listen, if he, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, can change the Apostle Paul and he can do so much good in his life, he can do the same with you, no matter what you've done and who you are and where you come from. So we got to know that uh, he came from a probably wealthy family. Most scholars believe that his dad was a tent maker back in those days, made a lot of money. So he comes from a person of means, cream of society in Tarsus and Cilicia. He had at least one sibling, a sister. We know nothing about his mom. That may speak to you. It may be you had one parent but not another. Maybe 
you have a parent that walked with God, but the other didn't. Who knows? We can only conjecture because the Bible is silent about his mom. I believe that in heaven, things that are important, we'll know. Things that aren't important, we won't know. It won't matter. But I am interested in maybe in heaven finding out, hey, Paul, who was your mama? Man, tell me about her. Did you, did you know what she, did she have a southern accent? Did she? What, what, what was up with you? I mean, there's some things that really, because when the Bible's silent, it really doesn't matter. If it did, he would tell us. God would tell us. But when it is silent, sometimes it just gets my interest, and I think, and maybe I'm kind of odd that way. It's like, I want to know about that. And so maybe you would do the same. That was his upbringing. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews because it was a Jewish family. Wealthy. They were familiar with the Talmud. He was trained by Gamaliel, the grandson of the illustrious Rabbi Hillel, a Pharisee. He would learn more, Paul would, about the Midrash and the Mishnah than about the Bible. He memorized 613 commandments of the Mosaic law. He exegeted, applied Greek reasoning to the Hebrew scriptures, yet later he wrote in his life he was ignorant. Pre-Christ, he said, he was ignorant. Over the early period of his life, it was his only excuse for his rabid persecution of the church, which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He was saying, I was ignorant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the things that I did were ignorant. I had no knowledge true knowledge of what was most important, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it transformed and changed his life. He was ignorant, according to his own testimony. He made havoc of the church of Jesus before his conversion. His very name struck terror in the hearts of Christians. You may remember after the Damascus Road experience, he was kind of hanging around the disciples, and Barnabas had to say, hey, guys, whoa, calm down. It's all right. He's he, he, he not about to mess you up, whether that's physically or emotionally or some other way, spiritually, religiously. He's, he's one of us. I know it's hard to believe, guys, disciples, but old Barnabas, the son of encouragement, tried to pave the way and say, he's okay. He has been changed by God, and we need to be sensitive to that. So... Just a reminder, if somebody comes to Christ that you knew back in the day, there was a wild man. Story of the prodigal son, wild. Give him grace because it could be it's a real conversion. Who are we to judge? And, by the way, there was another son in the story of the prodigal son. He was a religious person. It was the elder brother. Perhaps that person back in the day you went to school with, you're going to see at the reunion, was a very religious person, the do's and the don'ts. But you saw no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit of being Christ-like. Give them grace too because it could be they have met Jesus on their own Damascus road and God has changed them. God can do anything with any of us at any moment. And he can do things in our life or others' lives that we could ever never imagine 
All of Paul's sins were forgiven, but he couldn't always forgive himself, nor could he actually forget. You say, well, where do you find that? Sometimes I want you to go read Acts chapter 22, and you'll see where he shares his testimony. And you'll see where he shares how he persecuted the church. It's as if he's explaining in his mind, God has forgiven me. He's called me. And by his grace, I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to redeem lost time. But I can't help but remembering some of the things I did to some precious people. You can find that in Acts chapter 26 too. And in particular, Galatians 1.13 says this. For you have heard of my previous way of life. He's telling the church in Galatia. And Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church. I like how John Phillips put this. Commentator. He's in heaven now. But this is why John Phillips described this. Listen to this. I've never really thought of it this way, but I think he has a great point. Based on those passages of what Paul may have dealt with, the faces of men, women, boys, and girls rose to haunt him. At night, he would see faces, hear voices, and wake up bathed in cold sweat. Even after he'd been saved for years and those sins had been cast beyond, be cast behind God's back, buried in the depth of the sea, and blotted out as by a cloud. No wonder Paul had such a burden for the poor saints of Jerusalem. No wonder he begged and pleaded with his Gentile converts in city after city to contribute funds for the needy because many of them he had widowed, orphaned, and beggared. Their faces were ever before him even though God had eternally banished his sins from his mind and his memory. That gives me insight into this man of God and this apostle and why he had such a, um, a passion for the church. He was redeeming his times. He would be in a prison cell and write books that we now know is a part of the New Testament. Who does that for the Apostle Paul? Because God had changed and transformed his life. I don't know about you, but it kind of lights a fire under me. And I pray God will help keep that fire that I need to make the most of every day. Who am I? Who are you not to? God still has that call on our life. He saves us. We all have a type of ministry, whether it's vocational or not. And we want to make the most of our time. Now, the Apostle Paul had a silent period of about three years after his conversion. What was going on? He was sorting through his theology. He was sorting through his Old Testament. And what God had done in his life and the New Testament being made and the Gospels and the Holy Spirit working in his life. He was mentored and yet he was lonely due to the family that now abandoned him and believers that were questioning if it was genuine and if it was real. And he was imprisoned. He didn't avoid the hard places or questions that people ask. He wrote letters. He took a stand that caused others to not like him. He planted churches and trained missionaries and elders. He finished strong and squeezed, I wrote this, every ounce out of life, the Christian life. He could for the purpose of leaving a legacy. He redeemed his past. And so, can you 
and I. I went there once. I'm going to go there again before I go to question number two. Are you fulfilling your purpose post-conversion, after you've been saved, in every way? With your family, with your children, with your grandchildren, in your job, with your classmates, with the trials you may be going through and trying to embrace. That's something we all need to ask. And God have mercy on us if we don't do it because we keep going back to our former life without Christ or when we were out of fellowship. Because we say, God, you just don't know what I've done. Folks, you just don't know what I've done. Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. God can redeem you. If he used the apostle Paul like he did. I know I've been there once. Here I am again. It's just to say, why can't he do that in your life? He can. Don't use that as an excuse for what you've done in the past or when you got off in the ditch as a Christian and you are a believer, but you are out of fellowship for a season, for a time. God can use you too. It takes all of us in the church to be a light in a dark world. And certainly today, in our day and age, we need to be a bright light. And it takes all of us. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this book to the church in Ephesus. Why did he write it? Let's go a little bit further. Ephesians. He wrote to, He calls them saints. Now, let me make sure we understand something. When someone says you're a saint in this context, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're redeemed. It means you're a believer. It means you are born again by the grace of God because he has put, you have put your faith and trust in him. Like all saints, they're set apart, chosen by God to be different. Not to be odd for God, but living for a different kingdom. There's a big difference. God's kingdom. It was vital because Ephesus was renowned for its paganism. Now, listen closely because we can see some of this in where we live today in the U.S. and the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis. Paul spent three years helping establish this particular church in Ephesus more than when any other church he helped start, and he started a bunch of them. He, it was not easy being a faith-based church in a hostile environment, especially under the rule of wicked Nero. And he penned this letter while under house arrest in Rome, waiting to appear before Caesar. That was a difficult set of circumstances. And yet he did it because God called him to do it. If God calls you to do something, he won't leave us hanging. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, one of my favorite passages. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And I'm telling you, we, our feelings can mess us up. Our emotions can mess us up. The things we go through may not get enough sleep, may have a difficult time, may have a sickness. What we have to do is we have to say, God called me to this. He is going to help me fulfill it. We have to go back to that over and over again because God doesn't call us to something and leave us hanging. He helps us fulfill his call on our life, and that's what he did. Chapters 1 and 3, if we see that, we sh- it shows that Christ, through his death, resurrection, and exaltation, has reconciled us to God, united Jews and Gentiles into one body. For chapters 1 and 3, it'll be more doctrinal in nature. And then 
in chapters 4 through 6, instruction on how to live in light of our position in Christ. It's more practical in nature. There are the three prayers that are offered. Provide structural balance. And a triad of sevens. Seven spiritual blessings in Christ. Seven unities of the body of Christ. Seven pieces of armor. Ephesians, you may know about the armor of God. For, to use in spiritual battle. So again, why did he write it? Write it. Three specific things. One, a reminder. We are under the headship of Christ as Lord. He's the boss. He's faithful. We are under him. Secondly, a relief that we belong to the body. We are a team. We're not out there on our own. Thank the Lord. I need a team. You need a team. We're on God's team. So we fall under the lordship of Christ. He's Lord. He's boss. And then we're a part of a team. And thirdly, it's a reassurance that we can stand against the assault of our enemies. What's the worst thing that can happen? We die and we go to heaven. In the meantime, hey, I'm Lord, I'm boss. You got a team, the church, get plugged in, serve faithfully, pray, evangelize, grow, disciple as a learner, and understand Jesus is with you until the day he calls you home. We can trust him no matter what we go through. And then, what will we explore? What will we explore? Well, let's look at that. Okay, you ready? Let's go to chapter 1. Here's some examples from each chapter in Ephesians of what we will explore. In chapter 1, let's just quickly look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then it says in that next little, and he lavished it on us. Have you ever been, uh, maybe the, the wives in here, maybe, maybe your husband at Valentine's Day lavishes you with love. Yeah, I can tell he does that. Yeah, a lot of you ladies are thinking, yeah, that's my man. Or not doing that. <laughs> In him, we have redemption through his blood. That's why we sing about the blood of Christ. In him, Christ, we have redemption. We're redeemed. In him, we have redemption through the blood of Christ. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ooh, there's a lot there. We may have to go there one day. It's him. It's not you. It's not me. It's him. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's him. Let be constantly reminded. It's not my work. It's his finished work. All right. Let's move on. Chapter 2. Where might we land? Let's look at verse 10 for a minute. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if we look at the little book of James, we're reminded that when a person has a relationship with Christ, he's not through with us. We're to do works because we're saved, not in order to be saved. And that's what he's saying. 
God has created good works for us to do. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus created to do good works. It could be at your school. It could be at your ball team. It could be your role in your family. It could be at your workplace. It could be with your grandchildren. It could be with your friends. It could be a number of places you go from day to day. He created us to do good works because we love Christ and because we're still here on earth and he has a reason that we're still here. And it's to be a light in a dark place and use the gifts that God has given us and the abilities that he's given us and the testimony that he's built over the years by God's grace. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everybody is important. Let's look a little bit more. Let's go to chapter 3. Oh, I like this one. I picked out verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more that all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. I'm going to add a few more. And ever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I want to be reminded of that every day of my life. I'm still breathing. I ain't dead. So God, by your grace, help me to make a difference every day of my life. And he can. And we don't need to be short-sighted. We need to be like the Apostle Paul and realize God has us here for a reason. Well, lest I preach a whole other sermon on that one verse, let me keep going. Where am I? Chapter 4? Where am I? Chapter 4? Yeah, there we go. Just making sure y'all weren't were asleep yet. 4. Chapter 4. I'm messing. 429. It says this. Ooh. Here's practical. Remember, the last several chapters are very practical. First several doctrinal. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up. They may encourage one another until the Lord comes back. Let me read it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. That was a part I, I missed. That it may benefit those who, listen, what a blessing we can be when we have more good things to say about people than bad things. I know what maybe your mom said to you and, my mom said to me, how? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. This is biblical. As a believer, we're to encourage as a church, just one of the one another's, encourage one another until Jesus comes back, until we go home to be with him. Might have to land there a while. That's certainly something we all need to be reminded of and then we're in chapter 5 verse 15 this is about God's will 
We only have one life to live. This past week, I, I did a funeral for a, a, a former deacon in a former church years ago. I talked about the dash. There's been a writing on the dash, your birth date, death date, and then you got the dash. So this is about the dash. Here it is right here. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because of the dash. We only have so much time. We don't know when our de- we know when our birthday is. We don't know when our death date is because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. We need to know what God's will is for all of our lives. In big decisions, and when we have those in major decisions, and we're praying, and we're seeking God's will, we're plugged into his church, we're more likely to do the right thing with smaller decisions as well as important big decisions. And then there's chapter 6. Now, in chapter 6, it talks a lot about the family. It talks about children obeying your parents. It talks about honoring your father and mother. It talks about wives being submissive. I thought I might get an amen right there. But we're going to understand what the Bible says. Not a man. Hey, let me tell you something, woman. No. We're going to see what does the Bible really mean by that. Yeah, and it's going to go in the husband's role. And also our role with, the, with our children. It's a, it's a, it's a, oh. Yeah, it's there. It's a good reminder for us. But I'm going to go verse 18. Pray in the Spirit, all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I want to ask you to stand, please. We're about to sing our invitation. Staff's going to be here, and here's going to be the place of prayer. We've got a prayer altar on either side. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, when we renovate our church, our worship center, you think we might have kind of a prayer altar that expands? Well, I sure hope so. We hope so. We pray so. I like it when we have a little more room here. Now, listen, you ain't got, you're not extra spiritual or I'm not if we come up here and kneel and pray. God knows our heart. But I also believe it's very appropriate and worshipful to have times to come to the altar. So here's our invitation. As the staff is here and Pastor Robert leads us in worship. We're going to sing. It may be you need to come to Christ. Let him change your life. He changed Paul. It may be you need to come and say, you know what? God's been, he's placed a call on my life. I need to let my church family know. I did that when I was in college. I didn't quite know how to sort it all out, but I knew he'd called me. And I knew I needed to come up before my church family so they could pray for me and hold me accountable. No regrets. That might be you today. It might be that you want to make an effort or a step toward joining the church. We had several joined last weekend in the new members class. It might be that it's time to pray. You had a prayer emphasis if you were in Sunday school. You know that next week is supposed to also be a prayer emphasis. You know that our prayer team and ministry is expanding our prayer ministry. You know that we're going to continue to try to make that a part of our DNA of our church. Now, it might be you pray right there or you come to the altar and here's some things to pray for. Pray for the missions conference coming up. Pray for our mission team, the Hands of Hope. We got some folks that are on mission right now. 
They come back, safe travel on Friday, that God would use them. Pray for the hungry men, the men that are going to be gathering for seven weeks starting October. It's almost here. We had a trial run with the launch team today, and I'm telling you, there was some cathead biscuits that were good. Guys, there's invitation cards out there. Pass them out, please. We don't know what God's going to do with that, but that's, that's another thing we can pray for. This is his invitation. You respond as God leads.